What's up, listeners? It's Andrea. Today, we brainstorm a hot new soda called Diet Purpose. We come up with a bushel of better possible storylines for this episode, and we ask the question, why would anyone want a relationship with an android? Stick with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we're talking season four, episode 25, In Theory. This episode was written by Joe Minoski and Ronald D. Moore and directed by Patrick Stewart, which I didn't know. That's the biggest bum, bum, bum this whole episode has. And there's a, there's a, 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 like a dead woman in a hallway. (laughs) And that's still the biggest bum, bum, bum we have. Yeah. I was like, what? Oh yeah, that did happen. (laughs) I think that kind of tells you, dear listener, everything you need to know about this episode. Yes. Um, Here's the synopsis of In Theory. In his latest attempt to understand humanity, Data accepts the affections of Jenna DeSora and pursues a romantic relationship with her. In the meantime, a nebula, the Enterprise is passing through, is causing strange things to happen on the ship. All right, Sharice, what are your initial thoughts on this episode? So if you've been listening to our show for any amount of time, you know that Data is one of my favorite characters, is my favorite character on TNG. And my initial thoughts about this episode was... This one is going to be painful for everyone involved, everyone, everyone in the show, everyone watching the show, everyone listening to our review of the show. Um, As much as I love Data, this episode makes no effing sense. And I will say he's had some romantic encounters before. He hooked up with Tasha Yar when Mm -hmm. the drunk virus was raging through the ship. And that actually made sense. There was that planet he went to save the people from the Sheliac. And there was a scientist woman who kind of fell for him because she was like, ooh, I like technology. Oh my God, I totally forgot about that. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, and that made sense, right? Because she was like, I'm kind of, I'm interested in you because of kind of who you are and how you're built. And Data's like, yeah, I don't really do that. And she's like, all right. And that made sense too. (laughs) But this where she's just like, Data, you're so wonderful and amazing and thoughtful. I was like, girl, what are you on right now? So (laughs) yeah, those are my initial thoughts. What, What about you? (laughs) Um, my initial thoughts that I wrote in my notes were yuck. I hate this one so much. (laughs) (laughs) And it's pretty much it. We're like at the end of season four. This should be like the best episodes at this point. Yes. Okay. So once season three rolled around and season three was just so freaking sharp and like on point, it was good. You know, we sort of realized that you know, and the writers realized that best of both worlds part one was the season three. Um, finale and then mm-hmm. the wrap-up of like locutus of borg was the season four episode one episode so they were like oh we're gonna do this cliffhanger so this is the penultimate episode this is the last non-story arc episode mm-hmm. that we have for all of season four and it's so weak it's mm-hmm. so weak i i don't like it um i do have a bunch of trivia about it um so according to ronald d moore and sharice this might really interest you. Cause I was like, what this story was inspired by stories of fans confessing their love for the character of Spock during the original series. So he remarked quote, so much of Leonard Nimoy's fan mail was from women, women who were falling in love with his remote inaccessible character with the idea of like, <laughs> I could touch his heart. I could get to Spock like no one else. Uh, okay. I was fascinated by that aspect of fandom and quote. So he thought it would be interesting to explore what would happen when the man completely lacked emotions like mm-hmm. data instead of just like who controlled them by Spock. But I was like, this to me feels very like prison 
fan girl like mm-hmm. weirdness. That's what except it for like. the prisoners usually have lots of personality. This is very common with killers Maybe and serial killers. Personality. Yeah, and and like those kinds of people tend to be ex- extremely charismatic or mm-hmm. just so off the beaten path with how they see the world that mm-hmm. that in and of itself becomes a fascination. Like, how do you see the world so differently? You're so different from any other man I've ever been with because none of them tried to kill me or whatever. But <laughs> God, Spock, big, big question marks. Like, I don't understand. When you first said Spock, I was like, what about a man who's completely inaccessible is attractive at all? But then when you said, oh, but I can touch him, then I thought, oh, people are looking at him as some kind of moldable clay or blank yes. slate that you can like, like a add pet to. project. Yeah. What I think we're all wanting is a holodeck. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm hearing. You want to create a man from scratch. You don't want to take a man who's completely com- like not compatible whatsoever yeah. and try to change him. Um, I think you just need to make your own at this point. If you're going for Spock, if you're going for data, like let's just create one because this is not going to go anywhere nice for you. I don't get it. And I also don't get this, this whole episode. You're just like, why would I, yeah, I don't Well, I, I have, I'm going to be an armchair psychologist for um, a minute or two throughout this episode, but I have some thoughts as to why people would want somebody who's emotionally inaccessible. Um, But I, and I will get to that, but, you know, kind of thinking about what you just said, I think that like, there's a level of ego and narcissism involved where you're like, you know, nobody understands this man, but I could understand him. I could get him in touch with his emotions. Like I (laughs) could touch his heart where it's like, what makes you think that you're special or different to, you know, make a serial killer suddenly care about you or whatever. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. or Spock or data or anything. So I think there's a level of like ego to it. Just like, you know, I think you have to have a certain level of like, psychopathy to think that you could be president of the United States. Like what makes you, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, why, why do you think you could do this like huge, huge, huge like task that is like seemingly impossible anyway? Um, the other little bit of trivia I wanted to share was that, um, Patrick Stewart, this was his first like directorial debut. Um, you know, in my readings, he reached out to Jonathan Frakes who has at this point, I think, uh, directed two or three episodes of TNG. So he and Frakes had like some lovely little meals together and mm-hmm. kind of talked about like what, you know, directing an episode of TNG was like. And he did, and Patrick Stewart did say, quote, I was very lucky to get a simple little love story to direct. I was lucky to have Brent Spiner as my leading man. I had no big sets or Klingon great halls or shoot 'em ups. There was no, there were no epic scenes. I had to simply concentrate on the basics of camera movement and structure and more than anything else work with the actors on the scene end quote. And I was like, that's actually kind of neat. Like, I think if you are a director and you're like, Oh, we have this like epic battle scene. Like, yeah, that's really cool. But when you're just starting out, it's like, can we just keep it to the basics? Like, Mm -hmm. I totally Um, agree. I've, I've directed a few audio dramas at this point and when I started, I was definitely overwhelmed by the amount of logistics. I was nervous mm-hmm. that I wouldn't get enough actors. I was nervous about the sound not being amazing and the lines being dropped and all kinds of things. And it came across like a freaking dream. And so I kept going bigger and bigger. And the last project I did was like this two and a half hour um, masterpiece that I will never repeat because that was way too much. That kind of <laughs> felt like the epic shoot 'em ups, Klingon great halls. It felt yeah. like a lot. We did, we just did a lot with that production. And 
I totally and get it. it was, and it was a lot. It really yeah. was. It yeah. was. It came it out amazing. Huge. It came out amazing. Yeah, it did. But yeah, it was a lot. And thinking of it from that standpoint, yes, I agree that it's nice to start simple and maybe work your way up to the bigger things. And then like mm-hmm. me, maybe work your way back on down <laughs> some things that, that can be really epic without being stressful. That being said, um, this is Star Trek. So like a cute little love story without any shoot 'em ups or Klingons, like what's the point of that? However, I will say we have already had a few love stories in just the last few weeks. We've had that Lawaxana Timison relationship, which was beautiful and mm-hmm. confusing, but beautiful. Yes. We had Beverly and Odan, which was beautiful. And then we have Data and Jenna, which is dumb. Like <laughs> I, it's just, yeah. I, I don't know what happened, but I was like, are they trying to like have a counterbalance between these really wonderfully told love stories with something that's just like, well, not great. I feel like if I were a writer and I was looking at all my characters and Brent Spiner just does such a fabulous job as data, I couldn't ever imagine anybody else filling that role. Yeah. Um, I would be like, well, let's play with some inaccessible aspects of his personality. And one of them would be romantic, I guess. So from a writer's perspective, it's like, how could we kind of make this work? And of course, because it is an episodic TV show, you have to make it work temporarily and then it falls yeah. apart, Yeah, you know, but mm-hmm. it's like, that would be interesting. But as a viewer, I don't want any of that shit salad that you're trying to sell me. <laughs> I don't want any of it. I don't want any yeah. of it. Yeah. And it's really hard too. Cause you think about what kind of woman would be in love with data. And I guess it would be this woman, but like, do we love, do we care about this woman? Do we want to like see her ever We've never again? met her before. We don't care about her at all. Yeah. We never well, met think- Timison before. We never met Odon before. And we were just like, yay, we want you guys to be together, you know? And this, we were just like, y'all need to break up. What is this? <laughs> what is, what well, even is going on right now? Yes. Okay. So let's break this down. It's going to be a real rapid breakdown too. <laughs> um, the first time we, uh, the first shot sort of in the enterprise that we see as this episode opens is the inside of our tor- torpedo bay, which we've never actually seen before. And this woman is just like very distracted and she's kind of not really with it. And data's like, Jenna, what's going on? And she's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I ran into like whatever her ex-boyfriend's name is. Like mm-hmm. I ran into Jake and he asked me to Jeff. dinner and, but yeah, Jeff, okay. Like you want me to get back? Who cares? Yeah. They, he wants to get back together. And I love that data's like, ah, as your friend, I will now fulfill the obligation that you've requested that I remind you of all the reasons why you dissolved your relationship if you were to get tempted again. So here we go again, you know, and Mm -hmm. like, it's just, you know, he's like naming all these things that like, she didn't like about the relationship. And she's Mm -hmm. like, okay, all right. Like, I think there's a level of like rebound and loneliness that like makes people really vulnerable Mm -hmm. to falling into like a bad relationship or maybe not a bad one, but one that isn't a good fit for that person. And Mm -hmm. you're like, "Mm." yeah. Mm -hmm. And like a good friend data's like, don't go back down that road. And when Jenna's like, all right, fine. He's like, Hey, this is my third time reminding you. Like you asked, do you want to renegotiate our agreement? Right. Do you want me to stop reminding you? Because apparently reminding you is not helping you. It doesn't make you feel good. It's kind of data's dilemma where he's doing what people ask him to do as a friend. And Mm -hmm. the people don't mean what they say, which by the way is a huge freaking pet peeve of mine and something. and, And it's a way that Jenna drives me bananas in this episode. I'm like, just freaking say what you freaking mean. He of yeah. all people will not be offended if you yes. are just straightforward and honest and stop like sugarcoating everything and like yeah. helping people guess what you want. Why would you have people guess? Just tell them what you want. And yes, 
So data, this is data's dilemma is people tell him something, he takes it at face value and then it all blows up in his face. So I do appreciate that he's got the kind of EQ to sense, Hey, maybe we should change our agreement because apparently this whole remind you every time thing doesn't really help. Like you thought it would. Mm -hmm. And then we go to commercial break with like a minus 10 bump, bump, bump. Yes, it was a minus 10 bump, bump, bump. So they're working on the reason that they're working together is they're working on the, on like modifying this torpedo um, so that they can shoot it off into a nebula and make it explode at a certain rate or whatever, and get some readings from it. Cause they're exploring this cool nebula. And as they shoot this, you know, photon torpedo out, it lights up the nebula, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. And Data and Jenna are looking at the screen together. And she's like, wow, it's just like fireworks on the 4th of July or whatever she says. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of like looks at Data with those big cow eyes. And I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Well, she got to be this- a cow though. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, it's not that. It's just like when you look at somebody with the yeah. big like moppy yeah. eyes, that's yeah. called cow eyes. But she's kind of like, oh, you know, and I'm going data red alert because yeah. she's mm-hmm. going through a bad breakup. She's really vulnerable. She's already seeking solace in the arms of a robot. Like, yikes, yikes. <laughs> There's just so many. This is like. Yeah. So it goes to commercial and I think it's a negative 10 bump, bump, bump for the ship, but it's a, it's like a level 500 bump, bump, bump for us as viewers. Cause we're like run away data, get mm-hmm. away from mm-hmm. this very unstable person. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, not a fan. No. So, so we open back up in, and we're having a concert and apparently Jenna and data are on the same orchestral band team for the enterprise or whatever. And so is Keiko. Sure. Sure. Let's just, what? W- okay. And they're mm-hmm. having a concert and, um, okay. And this is again, like, I, I don't love Jenna. She's just, she's freaking annoying. And <laughs> if Jeff likes her, Jeff can have her. I just, I don't know. She's just, she drives me crazy. Here's one reason why. Cherise to Jeff report to 10 forward, please. <laughs> Report and bring a bouquet and of flowers her away. Yeah. Bring so some flowers or something. After the concert, Jenna's kind of like pouting and data's like, what's wrong. And then she goes, she goes on and on and on about all the ways she sucks. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I breathe it totally the wrong time. And she's doing all this to fish for compliments so that data can be like, oh no, you were wonderful. You were great. You did a wonderful job. I freaking hate when people fish for compliments. Really? I didn't yes. see that as fishing for compliments. I thought she was just really, really uncertain and like kind of was just picking on herself. I didn't see it as fishing for compliments. I saw That's it as fishing because it wasn't okay. just like, man, I sucked at that. I mean, it was like every time he said, no, you were great. She said, oh, but I did this thing wrong. And then he goes, oh, oh no, you were great at that. And then she goes, but I did this other thing wrong. Oh, you were wonderful at that. I just was like data just again, if Keep just let her buddy. be, just let her be like, yeah. I, like I have zero, I have less than zero patience for that behavior. Like if she was just upset and then he's comforting her, I think that would be very sweet, but I took it as fishing for compliments, wanting data to continuously like pump her full of you're so great. You're so amazing. And then 10 seconds later, they're on some kind of double date with the O'Briens. And I was like, huh? Eh? Well, I feel like after the concert, it was just because the concert wasn't 10 forward. They just all kind of sat down to chat, but yeah. it just so happened that Miles and Keiko were sitting down to talk basically to data. I feel like, and Jenna was like, Hey guys, what's going on in here? <laughs> he pulled a Troy. Yeah, she pulled the Troy maneuver and just busted into a random that place. Is, that is quite possible. So, so Keiko's telling funny stories about her relationship with Miles. Who cares? And then Jenna tells funny stories about her and Data, and she's like, 
grabbing his arm and looking at him and all the stuff. And, and I'm leaning like, her head on his shoulder. And I was like, yuck, yuck, yuck. Non-consensual, non-consensual relationship. Yeah. Non-consensual. Data, yeah. Data's just like, you know, cracking everybody up. And I thought he's a lot funnier here than when he tried to learn how to be a comedian in the holodeck. With Joe yeah. Piscopo? God yeah. damn it. I hated that. Yes. So much. <laughs> and I was just like, this is a really awkward double date because only you know, because he does not know that that's what's going on right now. I feel like haven't we all experienced that, though? We've all been on a date that we didn't know was a date. And then you're yeah. like, uh oh, yeah, when you realize it's a date. You're like, I got to get out of here. Yes. Once again, <laughs> let's just be clear with stuff like I don't I don't like this. Mm-hmm. So so next we have and we're just OK, there's actually two things going on. And we're focusing a lot on the relationship because that was the main idea. But there's also yeah. this other thing going on behind the scenes. So maybe let's dip into that and wrap up that storyline because sure. honestly, it's so much more interesting. Like I yes. kind of wished instead of being 10% of the episode, I kind of wish this was like 60% of the episode was like, I, I wish it was the nebula. I wish yeah. it was a 90, 10, but nebula to romance instead yeah. of romance to nebula. Yeah. Yeah. Go so, for it. so for some, so they're talking about this cool nebula and somebody, I don't remember who, maybe Jordy or something said like, you know, if there is life inside of this nebula, they would have evolved completely differently from how mm-hmm. we did in our solar system because of this, this environment. And I was like, oh snap, we're going to get this like different alien species. Like maybe they, you know, they're like photosynthetic. Maybe, I don't know. It could be, it could be anything. Could be anything. Yeah. So then they go, is there an M-class planet in there? And data's like, doop, doop, doop. Yep, there sure is. And so they're like, oh, that's cool. Let's go check out the M-class planet and see if there's any life forms that we could actually talk to. So they Mm -hmm. go into this nebula to where the M-class planet is. And as they're going through, weird stuff's being knocked off of shelves and whatnot. So, okay, not really sure what's going on there, but I kind of thought maybe it's the alien life form that lives in the nebula. I don't know. Oh, is that what you thought? Yeah. Oh, I just sort of thought like it was like the, the mystery of the missing furniture movers. (laughs) <laughs> like things are just getting knocked around and stuff, but like not, you know, cause like, because Beverly was walking by a, like a table in sick bay and like yeah. a hypo spray fell down. And I, you know what I did think? I thought this was some like phase shifty kind of stuff. Mm. It felt phase shifty to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't ever give me any vibes. Like it was like some mystery, like invisible aliens that like we can't see or whatever. I wanted invisible aliens because at different points we see the ship like this dark spot show up in the ship's hull and then disappear. And I was like, Ooh, is that like the aliens like peeking their head through like, well, what's going on over here guys? You know, See, and, and that would have been amazing. That. Yeah. That would have been that. so cool. It would have been great. And I feel like anything would have been better than the episode we actually were given. <laughs> so you know what? Invisible aliens away. Let's do this. Like, so when they get to the implant in class planet, I'm like, Oh, they're going to meet the invisible aliens and find out they were on their ship all along. And they get there and the planet's gone. It's just gone. And I was like, Ruh, yeah. what no happened here? Anywhere. Yep. Yeah. And then like, as they're looking, the planet reappears. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that there've been these little pockets of dark matter that they've been passing through as they've been making their way through the nebula. And that's, what's been messing with their ship and their systems and knocking things off of shelves and mm-hmm. hiding the planet somehow. Okay. And there's no life here. And I was kind of like, oh, that's, that's a bu- I'm like it was kind of disappointing actually it's, to find that that's what it was. It's completely like abiotic factors. Like no living factors are causing this. It's just simply like dark matter that is just kind of fate like changing the phase of the the matter that it's contacting. Yeah. Right. So like we have different phases. We have solid, liquid, and gas and plasma as a phase, right? In our natural world. So 
you can change, you can do phase changes with something as simple as water. Like you freeze it, it becomes solid. It's a phase change. You melt it, it becomes liquid again. It's a phase change. So it's pretty simple. So this dark matter is an interesting idea. And I wish they would have expanded on that because dark Mm -hmm. matter is really, really fascinating stuff. Like that could have been really cool. But I mean, what we got was like just this phase change. That's just sort of causing like this distortions in, in like the whole of the ship. And a poor woman gets swallowed up halfway and like they hear a scream. And when they go run and find her, she's dead, but like her from her belly button up is sticking up out of the floor. And she's just sort of looking like she's frozen. And from, you know, her belly button down is gone and it's, she's in the floor. And I was like, Oh wow. So she was, here's this poor woman who was just walking along. She was lucky enough last week to avoid getting hit by a phaser during that really, really unsafe (laughs) phaser rifle, like drill, you know, she was an engineer. She happened to be walking by. She missed it by a millimeter. Cool. Now she got swallowed up just as it's, it's like, um, it's like a sinkhole just opening up underneath Mm -hmm. her. It's awful. And probably the, the most interesting and compelling scene of the entire episode was that moment right there where Mm -hmm. you're like, you hear a scream. And I was like, I wonder what happened to her. Like maybe she got knocked over by the by the dark matter bubble and you turn around and she's like half of her is sunken and she's dead. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so much more dramatic than I thought it was going to be. That was like, got really intense, really fast. And now they're like, all right, this is serious. People are dying. we got to get out of here. They figure out that they're dark matter bubbles. And then they think, and then Riker says, I'm so glad it never touched the warp core or any like things that could explode. Yeah. I'm like, we're so lucky that that always happens when some weird stuff is bouncing around the ship. It never touches the warp core or anything that could blow you all up. So then they have this idea that we've got to navigate our way carefully back out of the nebula because not only are these there are these pockets of dark matter floating around out there, the dark matter itself is moving. It's not stationary. Mm-hmm. It's kind of moving around. They're bubbles. So, yeah. They're bubbles. So they say, well, a shuttle can calculate faster and see the bubbles and whatever. So they're like, okay, we'll have a little shuttle going in front of the enterprise. We'll tether together the technology and it'll kind of guide us out. And then Picard goes, I'm going to fly that shuttle. Yeah. That make any pulls, sense. He pulls that captain shit. Like I have to do this. Number one, this is my ship. Yeah, dude, it is your ship, which is why you need to be in On command yeah. and be having somebody else who's probably a little bit more expendable. Not that, you know, one life is worth any less, but come on, you're the captain. Let's put somebody else onto this. You know, Riker could have done this. Data, probably data would have been the best person to do this because he has like the lightning fast, you know, ability calculation, all of that, all of that. That that was really dumb. It was just so like purpose-free. It really really was. It was purpose light. It was like diet purpose. (laughs) I want to drink a can of diet purpose. Okay. That's exactly what this was. This was, this was completely purpose-free going on here or like writing going on here where he's like, I have to do this. And Riker's like, all right, sir. You're like, this makes no sense. So then Picard gets out in the little shuttle. They're, they're going through the landmines of dark matter bubbles. And one of them hits a nacelle on the shuttle, which hello, this was inevitable. And I also thought the shuttle's like, yay, big. The ship is Mm -hmm. so big. Mm -hmm. So if the shuttle's navigating through these bubbles that are coming like within inches of its hull, the enterprise is for sure going to run into that bad boy. Like it's yeah. huge. I don't understand this plant. This plant and, and no it's sense. and it's like ten feet behind the shuttle. So what time do you have to like respond? <laughs> but also think about the size of the shuttle. If it's going around one bubble, couldn't there be like thousands of other bubbles the shuttle can't even see because it's so yes. small? 
Yes. And you know what? I'm really glad you brought that up because they did say because of sensor technology, question mark, we can't tell when we're next, we're, when there's a bubble there until we're like basically right, right up against it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So like if there, if you're, if you're a little shuttlecraft and you're feeling one bubble, there could be thousands of, and there, and the enterprise is like 10,000 times the size of that fucking shuttlecraft. Yeah. So it's like, so come on guys. This all in just, all, this, this whole was, thing makes no sense. This thing was like a Swiss cheese plot. It just had holes all over the place. Yeah, but less delicious. Let me tell you. <sighs> I like Swiss cheese. <laughs> so, so that's the best thing we get out of this whole episode. The best thing. So, <laughs> so then it hits it. One of the bubbles hits a nacelle. The shuttle starts careening out of control. And O'Brien has to beam Picard back before he before his shuttle explodes. Yeah. So we're kind of like, mm, did we really need the shuttle? I don't know. So also then- it's the same tired trope. We've done this a thousand times. A ship explodes. Chief O'Brien is a wizard and manages to get them back in the nick of time. It's but like, but not the nick of time. Like the shuttle explodes and Picard beams aboard like, you know, 18 seconds later. And it's like, I got it. it's like, okay, we've done this so many times yeah. now. So many times. I also thought when the shuttle first got hit and he's like, I'm going to try to switch to manual. I was like, just get another shuttle. The enterprise is like right there. Just take this busted shuttle back. Get another <laughs> shuttle. <laughs> you have like 18 <laughs> shuttle bays. Or you have more than one shuttle. Oh, this makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's so funny. You know what? They are a one track mind. When we decided to engage a plan, we shall not deviate from this plan. I was the like, plan why will continue. Why are you still like piloting this broken shuttle? Just take it back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two feet away. Take it back. You know what? One. How about this? Out. Just beam me off the shuttle onto another <laughs> onto shuttle, and shuttle and I just take and off. I'll just, keep going. I'll just, yeah. I'll just, and just tractor this one in. We'll fix it. Like, I, I don't know. So anyways, they beam him in. Fucking waste of a shuttle. It explodes, right? Unnecessarily. Yep. It explodes. Completely. And then Riker says, gun it. And they just like go as fast <laughs> as they can to the edge of the nebula. What, well, what happens the whole dark matter bubbles could hit what? the warp core and explode the <laughs> Like, yeah, he basically was like, put the pedal to the metal, data, go. And then you hear like sound effect as like the shuttle burns out, you know, or like the Enterprise <laughs> takes up. Yeah, it was like, you're still a thousand kilometers from the edge of the nebula, like mm-hmm. to the boundary. That's a lot, guys. That's a lot of room. And, and Picard's been out there bouncing around in a broken shuttle for like, 14 seconds and has already narrowly avoided like 62 bubbles. So you're telling me in a thousand kilometers driving a a school bus, you're not going (laughs) to, well, it seems like they were like, Oh, there's like a bubble that formed between some decks, minor, you know, minor damage reported, like just kind of nothing. It's like, which makes no sense since that one woman just got swallowed up by that bubble, but okay, whatever. So you know what? Doesn't matter. So who. dumb. Yeah. Doesn't matter who. Super dumb. So then they they fly away, and that's kind of the end of that storyline. I would have liked that to be the main idea. I would have liked instead of dark matter bubbles, which was dumb. I would have liked invisible alien people that they think there's some nefarious thing, but then they come to somehow communicate with one another, and it's an awesome first contact, and they safely go out of the nebula. Like that would have been really cool. So, yes, that oh, would have well. been that would have been better to find out like you know, an alien species was like accidentally causing damage. And then mm-hmm. when they were finally able to communicate, be like, oh, wow, that was not our intention at all. We're so sorry. We didn't really like, we exist in the dark matter bubbles. Right, and that's right. like, mm-hmm. so we're just going to go ahead and move all our bubbles out of your way. So you can just safely get out of yeah. here. Yeah. 
or even like you've been messing up our bubbles. We thought, you know, you guys were trying to mess with us, you know, or something like that. That could have been really, See, look at that. We already have like 10 much better storylines. Yes. And of none it. of them involve data and Jenna. So that's the end of that oh, storyline. Okay. Yeah. Going back to data and Jenna, they are hanging out in engineering. Data's actually working. Jenna is just sitting against a torpedo talking about her childhood. What is she doing right now? And yeah. also I was like, why is she not respecting data's rank? Like she's like a friggin' ensign. I don't even think she mm-hmm. had a pip. She didn't have a pip to her name. And she's sitting there <laughs> twiddling her thumbs, talking about living on the farm. And Data's like, beep, 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 beep. Yeah. Like, Data's working. Like, what is going on in this scenario? It's so unprofessional. Like, I just, yeah. <laughs> Andrea's turning red right now, laughing. <laughs> that you're like, <laughs> she doesn't even have a pip to her name. <laughs> and she's acting like she runs this ship, sitting there twiddling her thumbs, talking about her childhood. Girl, if you don't get to work, Get, get to work or get home. Work. What are you doing here? Why are you even in here? Yeah. So whatever. This is. I'm pretty sure you're not even scheduled to be working right now. Like get the fuck out of here. And guess Go who is working? Else. Data. So stop distracting him. Like this. This is not ten forward. It's not the time or place. This is. Mm-mm. This is like the phrase that I had for her the whole episode. Time and place. This isn't it. Time and place. This also isn't it. So before she leaves, she's been flirting with Data for a few minutes, which he doesn't really get at all because he's working and he wouldn't get it anyways because he's an android so she bends over and she gives him this really passionate kiss and then she kind of like winks and walks away and data's like huh what just happened first i was working on torpedo then we were making out i don't know what happened there which i think a lot of guys can relate to when a woman does something like that and they didn't know that that woman was interested in them i think a lot of guys can relate to like what just happened we were just like talking and then this happened i don't know where the bridge was Mm -hmm. So next we see, um, data go to 10 forward to ask Guinan for her advice. And my first thought was Guinan. I love her. Yeah. Happy to see her again. Yeah. She gets him no advice, which was, is not Guinan. The first time ever she was like useless and you're right. He does go to like, he tries to consult way too many people on what to do. And everybody was kind of like, yeah, maybe I'm not the right person to like talk to you about this Jordy was like I don't freaking know anything about women I think Picard- Jordy had the best advice Jordy's advice was ask somebody else for advice yeah when he went to Jordy I was like what the I know Jordy's his best friend but I wrote in my notes this is literally the worst person on the ship to ask mm-hmm. about dating advice like the mm-hmm. worst person and I and I also wrote you should probably ask Wesley before you ask Jordy just give him a call <laughs> at Starfleet Academy see what his <laughs> thoughts are he's already done this whole go around the whole ship and ask advice thing so he can just like Cut he can right give to the you the chase. cliff notes. He can give you the, the cliff notes version. Um, I did like the one part of the episode I did like was when, you know, word is getting around that Data's asking everybody their opinion on this Jenna situation. Mm-hmm. And he even says, Captain Picard. And Picard is already like, I already know what you're going to ask me. Everybody's talking about it. The minute I have some insight into women, I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, yes, thank you. It was so great. Because the second that Data stepped on the bridge, Picard saw him from the corner of his eye and immediately walked to his ready room. <laughs> it was almost like the walks on. I had come on. The yes. Bridge. He was like, yes, gotta go. Someone's calling me. And yes. Data was like, captain, wait. And he's like, let me stop you there. Um, so he goes around and asks everybody. Everybody has a different piece of advice for him. Um, but he does. I mean, he does exactly what Worf did. He goes and asks every single person. And in the end, he decides, okay, I am going to give this a go. I'm going to write a program specifically for romantic relationships. And I'm going to write a subroutine specifically for Jenna. 
things Jenna likes, things Jenna doesn't like. So mm-hmm. he's like, I want to try this. And Troy has a good point. She says, you know, this isn't some experiment. You're dealing with mm-hmm. someone's heart. So you really mm-hmm. have to be thoughtful and careful. And Data was like, oh, okay, so I shouldn't do it. And she's like, well, I didn't say that. I just said, don't, don't make this a game. This isn't taking ex- it seriously. Yes. This is not one of your like experiments. And I was like, yes, that's exactly the right idea. She's yeah. a living, breathing person with her own needs. And like, this isn't just an experiment that you could run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So he takes it seriously. He writes entire program. Like he, he goes for it and he goes to Jenna's quarters and brings her flowers and, um, they kind of have their first real date. I I'm not sure the, I, I'm not sure how, where the line starts here, but that's kind of what they do. And Jenna's like, Oh, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be great. And, um, they have the most forced awkward kiss ever, but Jenna's mm-hmm. willing to give it a try because data is willing to give it a try. So this relationship ensues later on, Jenna comes to data's quarters and brings him a really cool sculpture, um, while he's painting. And so she comes in and she's like, I got you a little gift. And he's just like, Oh, this is so thoughtful or whatever he says. Thank you so much. And then she's like, well, don't let me interrupt you. And he's like, okay. And he sets it down and keeps painting. And then she gets really pissed. And she's like, uh, data, like you should know that when your girlfriend comes by and gives you a gift that you stop everything and pay attention to her. And he's like, wait, even though you just told me go back to what I was doing, she's like, yes. And he's like, so mm-hmm. ignore what you just said. And like, mm-hmm. do what you didn't say. And she's like, yes. And I was like this Jenna, again, this is okay. So I don't like this in life in general. Yes. I don't either. But especially with an Android who does not know those nuances of you're not saying yeah. what you mean. You're saying the opposite of what you mean. How about you just say what you mean? And he will be okay with that. You know what? That's exactly, this is why you and I are friends too, because you and I can be very blunt about things and we just say what we mean, you know? And like, I don't like when people play games where they do the like, you know, it's mostly, you know, in storytelling, it's usually like the woman who behaves like this, but I think men behave like this just as much where they are pissed about something. They don't want to say what they're pissed about because either they don't have the tools or the words, or they don't really Mm -hmm. know how, or they don't feel like getting into it. I don't care what the reasons are, but they behave like they're not upset. So when you do say like, Hey, you really seem like you're not yourself or you're really angry. It's like, I'm fine. You know, you start getting that like snappy, I'm fine thing, Mm -hmm. which of course, in my mind, I'm like, okay, yeah, you totally sound fine. All right. Like you got me, you know, it's like, that just, that blows my mind when people do that. And I will say in my like earlier dating life, like I remember doing that and then being like really upset if like my boyfriend at the time didn't immediately be like, no, but really what's wrong? Like, and of course, now that I'm much older and I haven't done that for like 20 years, I'm like, oh my God, that is literally the most like juvenile, (laughs) stupid shit ever. So I was guilty of that once upon a time, but like, you know, as you know, Sharice, if something's upsetting me, I'm like, Hey, so I'm upset about this. Mm -hmm. Here's why. And here's what I think needs to be done in order for this to not happen again, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I like come with right. the problem and the solution. You, you actually really do. You're really, that's, that's one of your superpowers. But even in this situation, just to say, like she explained it to him patiently after she got pissed, but even to just not play those stupid games in the first place and just bring him the sculpture. Yeah. And then when he's like, okay, cool. For her to be like, all right. So I spent a lot of effort in getting that for you. And I would love to see you display it in a place of honor in your room. Where would that be? And then they find it together. Instead, she does this stupid, where's Waldo hide and seek crap where she has to go around the room going, <laughs> did I put it here? And she's like, Mm-mm. how about here? Mm-mm. How about here? Yes. Now I'm happy. Like, why don't you just tell him that in the first place? What are you doing? Well, but here's the thing. If she were a person who was well-adjusted enough 
to not play those games, she probably would be well adjusted enough to not even want to pursue a relationship with a freaking Android. Fair. Like the kind of person who would play those games is the kind of person who would think that a a mechanical romance would work. It's like, um, Mm -hmm. all right. Okay. Then, um, there's a couple, there's a couple of things that pop up. Like he, he decides to like, you know, play this, like Mr. Cool role with her. Um, (laughs) data does. Yeah. Um, and he, he he's running this like romantic program that he has written for her, which is very sweet that like he wants to make her happy. Mm-hmm. Now in this subroutine, apparently suddenly data can now use contractions because in this one scene, he uses three or four contractions, which anybody who is a big like Trek fan will know that data is programmed to not use contractions. And that's how us as viewers can tell which one is data and which one is lore mm-hmm. because lore can. So mm-hmm. data comes in and he says, honey, I'm home. And I'm as a contraction. Or if he says, um, would you like a drink? And she's like, oh, I want a such and such. And he goes, I'll join you. I'll is a contraction. And when they have this kind of like, when he does the like angry response, like you're mm-hmm. not my mother, your is also a contraction. And I was like, oh, okay. This is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I totally missed completely that those were contractions that he's never <laughs> been able to use before. So apparently he could program himself to just use them. Cause when he had his daughter, when he had lol, he told her, I can't use contractions. Well, actually, he said, I cannot use contractions. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I had to do that. I had to. (laughs) Good times. Good times. So he's like seducing Jenna, I guess, with this weird voice. And he's like singing to her. Doesn't he seem like lore? Yeah, he does. But lore feels charming. He feels creepy. I don't know. Mm, It feels creepy. Because it's very mismatched. Like, yeah, like, I don't know. So he's going around, like, kind of picking up her messy apartment and like quarters and also like serenading her and also like, whatever you like, darling. And she's just like, okay, this is getting kind of, this is getting kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And she kind of calls him on it. Like, you're, you're kind of acting strangely. And that's when he jumps down her throat and is like, you can't tell me how to act. You're not my mother, which is funny. Cause she's been literally telling him how to act from the beginning. And he's like, okay. <laughs> Um, and all of a sudden he's like, you're not my mother. And then she's like, what'd you just say? And he's like, you're not my mother. That's the appropriate response. Right. This whole scene felt very Jekyll and Hyde. Right. He's just like flipping very, between very, very, like very bipolar. Yeah. Yeah. And very unnerving. And then she's just like, you know what? I'm kind of done with this. Please leave my quarters. And he's mm-hmm. like, okay. <laughs> just like <laughs> Again, <laughs> if you want somebody to be <laughs> huffing and puffing over you being provocative, you know, people mm-hmm. who are provocative are trying to provoke a reaction. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get that with data. So it's going to be the most unfulfilling <laughs> relationship. Yes. Cause if you're like, leave and don't call me for 15 years, they're like, okay. And then they just go and that's it. And they really don't give any shits about it because there's mm-hmm. nothing there. Like they don't have anything. So here's where I'm going to be a little bit of this armchair psychologist. She is, I'm going to say a broken person right now. Um, emotionally because she's going through this breakup with Jeff and she's feeling really conflicted about her feelings with him and blah, blah, blah. So um, I'm going to say it seems that what she wanted was the safety of a partner who, who wasn't able to hurt her because he had no emotions at all. Like there's a safety in somebody who's inaccessible. It's like the prison, the prison spouses Mm -hmm. as well. There's a safety to somebody who is inaccessible we trick ourselves into believing that if you can't access this person, then you can't really 
be tied to them emotionally as you would maybe a normal relationship. And so if that relationship ends, it doesn't hurt as much. But in reality, I think it hurts in a strange way more because then you start having those doubts afterward of like, God, if I'd really given this a chance, maybe it could have worked, mm-hmm. you know, like you end up sowing seeds of doubt within yourself. Um, and I've known people who have done that, who have gone through like such horrible breakups that they subconsciously like start choosing only people who are completely like unavailable, either they're in a different relationship with somebody else, or they Mm -hmm. live in a different country or something where it's like, there's some kind of hiccup in this relationship where it's like an easy way to kind of cut the ripcord and escape Mm -hmm. if you need to. And they think that they're not going to get hurt, but you really, really, you still do. You still do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that's what Jenna was trying to do. I feel like she, she was looking for safety with data. Um, And I feel bad for her. And I think she realizes that after this, after this fight argument, her, their first lover's quarrel, as data calls it, <sighs> she realizes I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> like this <laughs> relationship does. is not, it doesn't have a future, barely no. has a present. It does not have a future. Yeah. So she goes to data's quarters to break it off later on. And mm-hmm. he's got this romantic dinner with candlelights and, and low lighting and all this stuff. And so she comes and basically explains what you just so eloquently said, Andrea, that, you know, I was looking for something that I can't have. I went from a man who was emotionally inaccessible, inaccessible to an Android who was literally can't access his emotions. And data responds with, you do have a recurring motif. Like you definitely have a yep. type. He says his <clears throat> version of you definitely have a type. Yeah. And, um, she realizes like, I keep doing the same thing. What I would love for her to also realize or, or say is, and I need to change that. And mm-hmm. I'm going to address that. And yes. I'm going to make different decisions, but whatever, I guess it's implied. Um, so she basically breaks up with data and data responds with, okay, are you ready to have dinner now? And mm-hmm. she's like, no, I think I should go. And then he's like, wait, are we breaking up? And she's like, yeah, I'm really sorry. And he's just like, all right, I'm going to delete the program that I put in for you then in that case. Bye. And she's just like, Okay. You know, and she's got to be sad for the both of them because data literally can't be sad at the loss yeah, of this. Yeah. He yeah. blows out the candles. He pets his cat and calls it a day. And this is so to me, we know data can't access his emotions and whatever, but mm-hmm. to me, this just shows that this relationship didn't mean anything to data in a romantic sense, because with Tasha Yar, they hooked up exactly one time and he still thinks of her. He still looks at her you little holo- hologram sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yes. And we also know that I, well, I'm going to say he looks at her hologram and he thinks of her often, not because they had sex one time. It's because they were genuinely friends and that's why he thinks of her. So he may have had sex with Jenna once or twice or nothing at all. I don't know, or a hundred times, but like, it's not, that's not what makes that connection. What makes the connection for data is like, the mutual like respect and, and years of building the legitimate up, you know? friendship. Yeah. Yeah. It's a legitimate friendship. And I think that that's like what really makes it. So, yeah, you know, there was something for me watching that ending that was really sad because, you know, spot jumps up onto his lap and he pets spot and he just sits there and pets the cat and is completely unaffected as we suspect, as we knew right. all along that he would be because he right. doesn't have emotions, but the fact that he's unresponsive at all, is kind of sad in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But again, Jenna, I was going to say Jenna's an adult and she knew what she was getting into, but she doesn't. She's an adult and also is just like a very damaged and wounded person. 
and maybe needs to go see counselor Troy to kind of work out some of those issues because this is not a healthy pattern that she has. If you continuously choose people who are inaccessible to you and then you're upset that you can't access them, mm-hmm. that doesn't really say too much about them. It says more about you than yeah, about you're in this cycle of self-sabotage for your exactly. happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, why are you, why are you like spiraling the drain, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> doing this, you're just self-destructing like for what, you know, it really, anyway. So that's where the episode ends. So there's a bunch of things that don't make sense. Like, why would the Enterprise just punch it through a whole cluster <laughs> of dark matter bubbles? Punch it, Chewy. <laughs> yeah, it was a punch it, Chewy moment where you're like, what? Like, why would you try to have a relationship with, you know, a, a robot? Which, again, you know, she's looking for inaccessibility to, so as to protect herself. But it's like false sense of protection. It's not even real. That makes more sense to me than the dark matter to be honest, because mm-hmm. you can look at human behavior and be like, mm, there might be some reasons. The science just didn't check out. Like Jordy should have been like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> hold on a minute. Now we need to run some tests and analyses. Like this isn't going to kill us to be here for like four more seconds and just work this out. <laughs> I also feel like, why is it that most of the episode, the dark matter bubbles knock things over. And then suddenly they start like, you know, dissolving half of a woman into the floor and then <laughs> blowing up a nacelle. Cause yeah. like before it just knocked over a hypospray. Mm-hmm. So what is it like a knockover kind of a thing or is it like a change the you know matter of other things kind of a th- like what what yeah. are the bubbles around yes. these bubbles how you dangerous know, it, are they because at first they seem pretty freaking harmless yeah this these bubbles um made me think of a couple of different episodes one is i think it's called like time's loop or something where um the Romulans and the Enterprise are working together and they're frozen in time. So it looks mm-hmm. like the Romulans are shooting the, the Enterprise. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was that one. And then there's that really great, great episode. episode. There's a really, really great episode that I like a lot. And I'm 99% certain we haven't covered it. It's the one where Riker's old captain comes aboard and they're yeah, looking for the Pegasus. The Pegasus. Yeah. And it's like in the rocks because they were right. using a phase shifter to get like, mm-hmm. in a, it's like a cloaking device. That's mm-hmm. immediately what I thought of. I was like, Ooh, that's really, really cool. Yeah. See, those were cool. This just weird. Not cool at all. Yeah. Just my final, dumb. my final thoughts on this episode was not sure where the writers were going on this one. Mm-hmm. That's my final thought. What about you? I'm just glad it's over. And I'm going <laughs> to never watch it again. It's so fucking dumb. But the nice thing is we're at the penultimate episode of season four. So next week is the final episode, season four, episode 26, Redemption Part One. Can't wait to break that down with you guys. And thank you so much for nerding out with us. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.